we are 6A church, so if you're wondering where that comes from, that comes from a verse in the Bible, Micah 6A, and it goes like this. Hopefully it'll be up here on the screen for you. You can join me on these big, bold words here. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that's the kind of church we want to be, a church full of people, a church full of disciples who are doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. One way you can help us do justice, if this is your first or second time, take that connection card in front of you and fill it out, put it in the offering at the end of the service, check that first or second time box, and for filling out that card, we will donate a pair of socks in your honor to Northwest Children's Outreach, and it's getting cold, it's a good time for kids to have some extra socks, and so you can help us do justice in that way. Well, um, one thing that we, uh, we do a little bit differently is we have a number you can text in questions and comments to. And uh, one thing to kind of get us started, I was going to ask, has absolutely no relevance to the sermon whatsoever. So don't be looking for anything spiritually significant. But um, if, you, if you could make a suggestion where we could all kind of go for lunch. So through the summer, we kind of had uh, food time after the service, and we would get together and hang out and fellowship after the service. Uh, one thing we wanted to try is see if we could take it out of the building and go uh, kind of encourage somebody, maybe do something outside of here. So uh, somebody's already texted in, just started a job, and I'm feeling like I have the flu, so we'll be praying for you. Hopefully you can get over that today. Um, if you have a suggestion of a restaurant where we could all go, as many of us as want to, if it's not required, we're not going to like check and see if you come or not, but if you want to go and hang out in fellowship and just get to know some more people at, at a little bit more, uh, a different level aside from church, we'd like to go and just hit up a restaurant after church. So if you'll text in your suggestions to 360-818-4399, 360 and then uh, if I'll just kind of read through them as they come in. Um, Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm not going to the Blind Onion. Just put that out there. If that comes in, that's just not going to happen. Not Panera. Yes, thank you, John. I'm not supposed to call you out, but I'm with you on that. That is not food. Hey, if, if you can make a sandwich at home for like 30 cents, then you go to Panera and pay seven bucks for a turkey sandwich, and you're still hungry afterwards. The Megabyte. I've never heard of the Megabyte. Moe's at the beach. Maybe somewhere a little bit closer. Round table, round table's a good one. They have a room where we could probably all go hang out. And the new Wendy's, we could just go crash the new Wendy's. That'd be kind of awesome if about 60 of us went over there. Uh, keep those coming in and uh, we'll see if, any, see if there are any repeats and uh, we'll announce something before the end of the service where we'll all go and just kind of hang out and have some fun at the end of the service, after the service today. Well, we're in a series right now. We're finishing up a series called The Church Just Wants Your Money. And we've been talking about how there's a perception in the world. There's a perception that people think that the church is just fire on the mountain. What is that? Baja Fresh, no thank you. Oh yeah, so, so you guys get to force me to eat somewhere I don't like. All right, so we're, I'll remember that. I'll remember this. My wife would be very happy if we went to Baja Fresh. So. We never, she never gets to go there because I hate it. What? Yeah, you can take her to lunch and I'll, I'll just fast. I'll pray for everyone who likes Baja Fresh. Well, we're in the series um, called The Church Just Wants Your Money. This is our last week in the series. Next week, we're totally changing directions here. Um, but 
We've been talking about how we as a church, if, if we had one wish, if we had one ambition for you, it would not be for you to give us more money. It would be for you to make Jesus the number one priority in your life. We've been talking about that the whole series. We're going to talk about that some more this morning. We started the series with, with watching that Who's on First bit from a long time ago, Abbott and Costello, and, and we just asked, Who's on First? That's a question we've been asking the whole series. Probably a better name for the series would have been Who's on First than and the church just wants your money because that's what it's all about. And, and until we get God in the first place, till we get God in, in the right place where he deserves to be in our lives, we're going to struggle with everything, including our finances. And then we talked about how, how Jesus was the one who contrasted the kingdom of God with money. And our struggle is going to be between money and what God offers us in the kingdom. It's not between good and evil like we often think. It's not between God and Satan. It's not between God and some other force. The, the biggest struggle we face in this life, the biggest struggle we have is money. And money is that thing that can easily put God off of, our thro- off of the throne of our heart and just kind of grab us and pull us off direction in an instant. And so we've been talking about that throughout the course of this series. And we've been reading a scripture. I want to re- uh, recap that scripture this morning uh, should be, still be in there. We've been reading this, this passage every week of this series. I believe it's there. Matthew. There we go. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we eat, what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Here we see the, the conflict, the contrast is between money and the kingdom of God. The, the concern is between, is God going to provide, or am I going to provide? Can I trust God for everything, or do I just need to kind of step in and rescue my life, rescue myself, so that when God fails... I've got something to fall back on. And we've fallen into a thinking, I think, where, where we really believe that, that we have the ability to provide for ourselves far better than God ever could. And we think that if, if I just work hard enough, if I, if I provide for my family enough, if I save enough, if I, if I work enough extra hours, if I invest and if I do all of these things, then I am sure that I can provide for myself better than God. And we never really get to that point of trusting God. So maybe you're on that side of the spectrum or maybe we're on the other side of the spectrum and, and we never actually work to provide for ourselves. We never spend money wisely. We waste the money that God has entrusted us with. We go into debt and we throw away away hundreds and thousands of dollars after something that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And so we find ourselves on one side of the story or the other. The point is, who are we trusting and are we trusting in the right thing? Are we trusting in God or are we trusting in money? I want to uh, share with you a story from a family in our church. You will recognize them and just want you to to hear from some real people. I talk a, a lot, I, you know, I tell you stories, and it's easy, I think, probably to perceive that I'm not a real person, that I, I, I hope you understand that I'm a real person, uh, but a perception maybe that I don't have real struggles, but I do, that, I'm, that I have uh, all of these things figured out, but I don't, uh, you know, or let, I have some kind of direct line, some direct access to God that you don't have, but, but that's not true either. But, so I wanted you to hear from someone else on the topic of money. This is a family in our church. I'm sure you recognize them as soon as you see them. Thank you for being willing to share. Um, 
I think what you maybe heard in that video was probably a story that if you're in a, in a relationship, if you're married, you've probably experienced that. Um, I know my wife and I have very different views of money. She's, she's the stable one. She's the one that, you know, that saves, and I'm the one that wants to spend it all on TVs and things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Um, but what I want you to hear the most this morning is that that this, for one, is an issue that we will probably, every single one of us, continue to struggle with the rest of our lives. We, we, may, we may grow by leaps and bounds and then, and then go through a season that is difficult and we find ourselves having to take a few steps back and wondering if this is gonna be the time where we stop trusting God. I wanna share with you a little bit uh, of my story. If, you, if you've been around, you know this, you've heard this. But uh, I also grew up in a, in a pastor's home. I also grew up watching uh, my parents give and tithe, and um, my, my mom would, would tithe off of the money that she made, and then I would watch her on Sunday mornings oftentimes as the offering came, look into her purse and throw a few extra dollars in there, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. We never had a lot of money. We were never rich. We were never wealthy. Uh, today, my, my parents still seem to struggle with money and never seem to ha- have a lot and have devoted their years and their life to ministry and, and, and serving God, and, and they are probably blessed beyond our wildest expectations in terms of the lives that they've changed for, for all of eternity that they will hear and they will receive treasures for in heaven. But we never had a lot of money, and I'm not criticizing my parents. I'm not saying that you know, they should have done something to try to earn more income, but I watched my parents set a wonderful example for us as kids that even though we don't have a lot, we're always going to give, we're always going to tithe, and they always did as far as I noticed. And Then there were people in our church who poured into my life, and there were people throughout that growing up experience that provided things that we couldn't have provided for on our own, and so we saw God bring resources together from within the community of believers to provide things like coats for us as kids and clothes, and I've shared those stories with you before. And then I grew up and I went on to college and I pursued, uh, first actually I was pursuing a career in just music performance, wanted to be a classical pianist, but uh, decided that since there's only like six of them in the United States that actually get paid, that wasn't a very good decision. And so I uh, changed my major and became a church music major and was going to be, you know, a, a worship pastor. And I actually spent the last, you know, 15 years of my life before coming here doing that and went through, through several different church experiences. My first church experience, I got burnt by the church. And then my second church experience, I got burnt by the senior pastor pretty good. And then in my next church experience, I was hoping for uh, a job at the church and my wife and I had just gotten married and they decided they wanted to go a different direction. And so then at another church, we were feeling uh, like it was time to move on and we were worried about the safety of our kids because we lived in Longview, and if you know what Longview's like, then um, you know why, you would, why someone with kids would want to get out of Longview. Um, no offense to Longview, we live there, we love the people there, but uh, turns out probably God wasn't done with our time in ministry. We were pursuing money, and we were pursuing a bigger job. I was pursuing status. You know, I was pursuing, I wanted, to, I wanted a job at a big church. I wanted to be able to just kind of say, look at me, I have succeeded. I am a successful worship pastor. And I could share the stories with my parents and they would pass them on to all the people who invested in my life growing up. And they would feel like they had invested in something and someone who had, who had gone out to make a difference in the world. And then it turns out that that was one of the worst decisions that I made leading our family growing up that pursuing that change, pursuing that career. I I thought we were doing the right thing, but it turned out to be one of the worst, worst experiences of our life. Treated like I've never been treated before. Uh, If I went into the stories of it, it would probably make you not ever want to go to church again, so I'm not going to do that, but wounded pretty deeply. And then after that went on, was there for three and a half years. At the end of the three and a half years, got cut to part-time in 2008 when a lot of pastors got cut to part-time. During that part-time experience, found a job at, uh, at another church right down the street here. I won't say the name. A lot of you know what it is, but I'm not trying to bash churches, but 
had another bad experience, another, another experience that uh, kind of molded us and shaped us. And after that, I was pretty much done with church. Um, I believed in the church. I believed in, in what God wanted to do through the church. I believed that, that God could do great things to bring revival and to bring awakening and to change people. But, but the church in America just gotten so off track with so many stupid, ridiculous things that have nothing to do with the gospel that I was convinced that I would never find ministry again where I could make a difference, where I could pursue what the Bible said, be a kind of a church that the Bible says the church was supposed to be. And then just a couple of months after that ended, it turned out that it was a connection at that church that led me to the connection at this church, and God started to open doors, and God started to move and create a pathway so that I could once again be in ministry, being at the, at, at the helm of a church that is already trying to reach out to the community, already trying to be the church that we're supposed to be. I, I, I feel blessed. Yes, there, there are struggles here, just like there are struggles at every church because we're all people and we have not yet reached our perfection on the other side, you know, like we, like we dream about when we all get to heaven. If you grew up in church, what a day that will be, that there's this day that we kind of look forward to when all of the struggles, when all the baggage of this earth is gonna fall by the wayside and we'll finally be in the presence of the creator of the universe, we'll be sitting at the table with the king of kings and lord of lords, the, the God who created the kingdom is going to invite us in at the table and we kind of look forward to that and we dream about that, but we're not there yet. So every church has its struggles, but it has been a tremendous, wonderful blessing once again, to be a part of a church that, that is trying, imperfectly, but trying to reflect Christ to our community, to, to make a tangible difference, to make a tangible difference to the kingdom of God. And it's been refreshing. It has been, it's been, and I can smell the pizza for the kids' party, it smells good. It's been, it's been invigorating, it's been stimulating to be a part of something that, that is that is bigger than me, bigger than even those of us sitting in this room, that is bigger than anything I could possibly have imagined years ago when we first started here. We have seen God provide for this church. We have seen God carry the mantle of this church and, and provide resources so that the mission of this church could continue on and carry on. We have seen God do tremendously amazing, wonderful, miraculous things here at this church. We have seen people's lives change for eternity. We have seen people's views of church change. People who were burnt out and done with church have come into our doors and found a place where they can call home. People who have been wounded by the church have been able to come and find a place to connect, to, to come and find a place where they can, can serve and join in with other believers in the mission of the kingdom of God. About a month ago, we, uh, actually I, I stopped and got some Taco Bell on the way from home, uh, on the way back home from worship practice, and we live a little bit of a ways out, and it used to happen all the time because there was a Taco Bell about 10 minutes from our house, and so I just kind of swing by talk, you know, I just you know, send my wife a text message, you want some TB, and um, Taco Bell, not tuberculosis, and um, and so, uh, you know, uh, and if she was in the mood, if it felt right, you know, we would, we would get some Taco Bell and we'd go home and the kids would discover the Taco Bell trash the next day and get mad at us for having Taco Bell without them. And, um, it's been a little bit far away, but we thought we'd try that uh, at, the, at the house that we live at now. And so stopped by Taco Bell, you know, and my wife, you could tell, had been anticipating. I know I talk about Taco Bell a lot, and I apologize. We talked about it last week. We're not, so we will not go to Taco Bell for lunch today, I promise. But um, had gotten, you know, gotten my wife Taco Bell, taken it home. I had, I had had them double bag it so it would be warm still by the time we got home. And, and I put some, some blankets over it so that it would be insulated and stay nice and warm. And, and we get home and, and, and my wife, one of the things she gets is the triple layer nachos. And I would never eat it because it has refried beans on it. But um, she's eating it and as she's going through eating it, makes a discovery and one of the little curls of the tortilla chips, you know, um, there was a fly that had looked like it had been cooked in the microwave along with 
her nachos and hear this thing that she had been looking forward to and just kind of ruined uh, by seeing that fly. I actually took a picture of it I was going to show you. Actually, that's not why I took a picture. I took a picture so I could go back to Taco Bell and complain and try and get a free nachos. But um, <laughs> has anyone else had a bad dining experience like that? Have you ever ever gone somewhere and had a bug in your food, had something that came out like you didn't want, like you asked for no onions and they put onions on it, and whatever have, yeah, probably most of us have had some kind of dining experience like that, right? Well, I want to ask a question. When you, when you think of a dining experience, a bad dining experience, did you stop going out to eat? Anyone... Did I lose? Okay, we're good. Anyone swear off going out to eat after having a bad dining experience? I'm not going to go out to a restaurant anymore. No one? There's one. Okay, so I guess we won't see you today after church. (laughs) See, the thing is, In every area of life, when we go through a bad experience, we know that there are just variables that exist and we have imperfect people who are who are working in these situations and and we know, well, that was just that was just you know, maybe they didn't see the fly in the food, or maybe they just had a bad day and weren't paying attention. You know, who who knows what was going on in this worker's life to not see that fly and let it pass out and be okay for us to eat. But we don't write off church because we had a bad experience in the same way we don't write off food because we had a bad experience. So I think we, we make these exceptions and the rest of our lives, well, I had a bad experience at this store, so I'm never going to that store again, but I'm gonna go to this one over here. You know, I had a bad experience at this Safeway, so I'm not gonna go to this Safeway, I'll go to another Safeway. But when it comes to church, when we have a bad experience at church, it's like, I had a bad experience, I was treated poorly, so I'm gonna write the whole thing off. I had a bad experience at church and I was treated like dirt and so you know what, I'm never going to be invested in church. I'm never going to give to church again. I'm never going to serve at a church again. I will come and do my part and I will just kind of show up and check off the box but I'm never going to be invested in church again. As my story progressed, I found myself wanting to walk away from the most glorious organization on the planet. I, find my, I found myself wanting to give up on the church. But God had different plans, not just for me, not just for this church, but God had a different plan of redemption because even within the church, his body, we need redemption. Even within us here, at 6-8 Church, as we make mistakes and as we fall flat on our faces and we do the wrong things and make the wrong choices, we need God's redemption. And, and we cannot be the people that say, you know what, there was a fly in my food, I'm walking away for good. You, you hurt my feelings, I'm never coming back. You, you made the wrong decision that I didn't agree with. You, you played the music too loud. You don't play the right songs. You preach too long. You're not funny enough. You're too fat. You know, whatever excuses we use to walk away for good are not good enough. And when it comes to the way we lead our lives, it's not good enough to walk away from God because something didn't work out the way we thought it would. So we, we not only apply this to church, but we apply it to our personal lives too. We, we say, well, you know what, I'm going to I expected God to do X and he did B. So, you know, I don't trust you anymore. So we walk away. God, I thought you were real and I thought you were going to come through in this situation, but instead of doing this thing, you did that thing. How in the world can I trust you anymore? And what we fail to understand, what we fail to comprehend is that we continue to redefine God and we continue to put God in this circle, in this box where only the things that we approve of and like fit and the things that don't meet our expectations and our criteria are cast outside this box. And so this is the God that we believe in. This is the God that we know. And the God that we believe in is not really God at all because God cannot be defined by our circles, by our squares. Verse 
God is the eternal, infinite, transcendent, above everything and imminent in everything that we do, God, we cannot possibly know what God knows. And we talked about this perspective a couple weeks ago, how, how God is sitting above all of this and he has a perspective like we can't imagine and, and God can see things that we would never see. And if, and if what we're praying for so fervently and so earnestly right now actually was granted to us by God, it would set us on the wrong course for the future that he has for us. And he knows that if he wants us to go where he wants us to go, he's not going to give us this, he's going to give us that to keep us on the right track so we're going where God wants us to go. But what happens is we stop trusting God because we don't get what we want. (laughs) We stop trusting God because we're not getting our way. We stop giving to God because he doesn't give us what we think we deserve and so we just kind of pull it all back and we hold it all tightly. This morning my challenge for us is in the area of investment. Somebody said Popeyes. They do have sweet tea, so. My challenge for us is to be invested. I'm not talking about investments. I'm not talking about your 401k. I'm not talking about saving bonds, savings bonds, and mutual funds, and all of those things. I don't know if you know this, but when you're not invested, it's kind of, it's really easy to sit on the outside and be critical. It's really easy to sit on the outside and complain. It's really easy then when you don't like something to just walk away and say, you know what, that's good for me, I'm I'm out. But when you're invested in something, your, your perspective entirely changes on everything. When you're invested, when you are pouring yourself into something, instead of seeing this thing that, that has to be changed or I'm out, you, you look at it and say, what can I do to fix that? Instead of saying, well, I don't like this, you come in and say, well, could we do this instead? How, can I add myself to this? And we start to change the way we do church. And so instead of complaining and walking away, we find ourselves invested. So when you're invested, when things get difficult, instead of being critical, we take it personally when someone else is critical. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You know, when, when you are invested in something and someone is critical of that thing that you're invested in, you take it personally, right? You get offended at it. How dare you talk about my... When you're invested, that's what happens. When you're invested, you realize complaining isn't going to solve the problems that you see. Instead, the problems will only be solved if you or someone like you steps up and does something about it. When you're invested, instead of walking away, when you're frustrated, you work through the hard parts because you know the best is yet to come. When things get difficult, you know, it's just like when, when you're working out, when, you are, when you're working the muscles of your body, you, you work and you get sore, right? You work out, you know, you work out your biceps, you have arm day, and then the next day, if you've done it right, you can't really use your arms. <laughs> because they're sore, but then a few days later, your body recovers and you're stronger than you were before. When you're invested, you work through the hard parts, you work through the pain, and understand that you will be better on the other side if you stick it through. See, when you're invested, you go from being ambivalent to being tenacious. When you're invested, you go from not really caring about what goes on to being, I am going to get in and I'm going to do what I can to make this thing the best that it can possibly be. Instead of looking at it from the perspective, I'm gonna point out all the flaws, I'm gonna point out all the problems, I'm going to come into it and I'm gonna say, you know what? I see this and I think it could be a little bit better. Can I help? I see this and I think if we did this, it would work just a little bit better. So what can I do? We go from being ambivalent to being tenacious. And this comes back to what we've been talking about. Who's on first? See, in, in my life, in our, in our story, and the ways that I've not led our family properly, and the ways that I've let my family down, there have been times when I've been on first, and when I've put myself up at the top, and I've decided, you know what? This is what I want for right now, and this is how it's gonna be. So we didn't go to church for a long time. Before this church and after the last church, there was more, uh, more consecutive weeks where we didn't go to church than, than ever before because I was done with church. 
done getting hurt by church. I loved the groom, but I was kind of disgusted with the bride. What we don't understand is that the bride of Christ, no matter how imperfect, is always the bride. No matter how messed up, no matter how broken, no matter how fallen, no matter how stupid of things the church does, the bride is always the bride. And when we find ourselves wanting to walk away, when we find ourselves wanting to call it quits, when we find ourselves wanting to throw in the towel, that's probably the time we need to push through the most because the best is yet to come. When we find ourselves ready to just kind of shrink back and give up on everything, it's the time we just really need to take another step forward and step more into the mess because the best is yet to come. And when we put God on the throne, when we put God first, when we allow God to take that seat in our lives that, that he built us to take, then I think everything starts to change, everything starts to fall into place. And instead of making the world revolve around us as the center of the universe, our world begins to revolve around God, the creator of the universe, and everything starts to work. Everything starts to make sense. So are you invested? Are you invested in the church? Are you invested in the bride of Christ? Are you invested in the work of the kingdom of God? Are you invested to a point where your life has been rocked and changed? Are you invested to a point where when you leave this place, you cannot wait to get out and be around those who don't know Christ because I want them to see the good deeds that God has given me to do and I want to follow him with everything that I have so that they are drawn to God because of the life that I live. Are you invested in the mission of God? Are you invested in this place to a point where you are willing to pour yourself out as a drink offering so that what this church does could be a part of reaching somebody, a part of reaching some people, a part of reaching a community, a part of reaching Hazeldale and reaching Vancouver and changing the way this community functions because this community is being changed by the light of the gospel because we're going out here and living it. Are you invested? See, when God comes in, he changes a life. When God comes in, he reorients everything. Just like Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord he wanted to see. And so he's up in this tree and Jesus is walking by and what does Jesus shout up to him? He says, come down, I'm eating at your house. And immediately what is Zacchaeus' response? He, he says, I, I will repay everything and give even more. His response is to the grace of Jesus Christ and treating him with dignity and respect. It's generosity. Second Corinthians chapter nine, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to pull them out. If you don't, you can pull out your phone and go to the Bible app and open up to Second Corinthians chapter nine. This is in the middle of 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking. He, he's writing this letter to the Corinthians because he's a little bit frustrated with the Corinthians because they have not followed through on a gift that they had said they were going to give. In 2 Corinthians chapter eight, he contrasts the church at Corinth with the church at Macedonia, a church that had little resources, a poor, a poor church, a church that was probably struggling, and he contrasted, let me set it up for you, says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's writing to Corinth. He's going to brag about the church at Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The Macedonian church suffering persecution, their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urged, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. When was the last time you thought about the church as a privilege? And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. There it is, who's on first? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. 
So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now he's talking to the church at Corinth. But since you would excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Here Paul is saying, I'm going to compare you to the Macedonian churches and see how you measure up. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I want to stop there just for a minute and call back to the story, the uh, parable that Jesus told, where he told about a woman who had just a little bit to give, and he told this story, and he was talking, and he was comparing who, who gives more, someone who has a lot and gives just a little tiny fraction of what they give, or someone who has a little and gives a lot. And he was making the point that it's not about the amount that you give, but the percentage. It's, it's the sacrifice that's involved when you give. So Paul says, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The whole point of everything in life is not so that we can get more money from you, it's so that we as God's chosen people will abound in every good work. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The point is who we are and the work that we do for the kingdom of God, not the amount that we give. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Look at that, the harvest is righteousness. It's not percent, it's not dollars in our bank account. The harvest we are so desperate for here at Six Day Church is the harvest of righteousness. We wanna see the lost come to Christ and their lives forever change. It's a harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. They, they were looking for resources so that Paul could go out and continue the missionary work, the service that he was performing, trying to preach the gospel to as many people as he possibly could. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I have tried through this series as we have gone through to do my best to interweave the whole point that everything has to do with the kingdom of God. That, that, that God gives us ways to handle money and he gives us ways to, to be able to look at our finances so that we honor him in everything. And he tells us what not to do and he tells us what to do with our money. And if we follow them, we'll find more success in the way we handle our money. But as we've talked, the whole point of everything that we've talked about is so that the mission of God would be further, so that the mission of God would go faster, the mission of God would expand in our community. The point is not for you to give more money so that we could have more money. 
money. The point is not for you to be poor so that we can be rich. The point is not for you to empty your bank account so I can buy a plane. That is not the point of any of this that we're doing. The whole point is so that the mission of God would go further faster. And if there is something that is holding us and grabbing us and keeping us from pursuing God, then that's the one thing that we need to dig into and cut loose and give God total control over. So I'm not, I'm not going to, we're not gonna have a thermometer up here. We're not trying to do some kind of capital campaign. I'm not trying to get you to, to really empty out your pocketbooks this morning and for the next months and months ahead and to commit to giving thousands of dollars to the church. What I am hoping, what I am praying, I'm earnestly hoping is that we will understand the gift and the abundant grace we have received and respond with generosity, not just in our finances, but in our lives and our commitment and our investment to the work of the kingdom of God. Are we going to rise up? Because I don't know if you know this, but it should be pretty clear by now, we have a sin problem in our world. This week we saw the worst horrific tragedy we've seen in a long time. Some people sought to take advantage of the tragedy and use it for political purposes and to try to promote some kind of political agenda. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with guns. It has everything to do with sin and the fact that we are in a fallen, broken world where people need God. This church, this bride, this body that we are sitting as a part of this morning has the answer. We have the answer to the problem. We know exactly what the solution is. But the problem is so much of the church doesn't look like the church anymore. We really look like the world and we've adapted and blended in and we as a family are guilty of this as well. We have, we have made our lives look like the world. But the question is, are we setting ourselves apart? Are we allowing God to pull us apart to sanctify us, which is what the word sanctify means, to be set apart for God's work? Are we allowing God to sanctify us for his purposes in every area or is there one area that we're clinging to? So this morning, my plea, my, my request, my urge this morning is not for money. My urge, my request is for surrender. Total sacrifice, giving up everything so that God could be exalted. Are we going to give our whole life, our whole life, turn it over to God? Or are we gonna hold on to this one part, whatever it is? For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's food. For some of us, it's a thousand other things. Is there one thing we're gonna to cling to and hold on to as more important than God? Or are we going to allow it to fall by the wayside so that Christ could be made much of in our hearts and our lives and we could be a part of the greatest movement in history spreading the kingdom of God to those who haven't heard of it? I believe in what we do. I believe in this church, I believe in what God has given us to do, I believe in the mission that we're on, I believe in the people that we're reaching, I believe in everyone sitting in this room, I believe in those who aren't here that God has assembled an army here so that there could be great things done for the kingdom of God. I believe, I believe you're here for a reason, I believe you're here on purpose, that God drew you here for some higher purpose than to just go to church on a Sunday morning. Over the years, there have been those who haven't believed in us as a church who thought we would fail early on. For all the people who invested themselves into my life and our family's life, there have also been people who have done the exact opposite. There are those who believed and those who didn't. Even now, there are people who don't believe that what we're doing as a church is the right thing to do. And Um, the most sanctified of responses do not come out when I hear those things because I just want to <laughs> respond with, well, I just, I won't, you probably already had enough honesty and vulnerability this morning. 
I believe in what we do, and there are a lot of people here who are really invested in what we do. I take it personally. I know a lot of you take it personally. What I'm hoping this morning is that as we walk out of this place, we'll all take it personally. That when someone is critical, when someone says, don't do this, or that was bad, or this was awful, you know, we're, we're going to take it, we're not just going to go to the defense of the church, but we're going to fix the problem, whatever it is, we're going to jump in and get our hands dirty, we're going we're to get into the mess and fix it. Because I believe in what we do, and I believe in this room lies the potential to change all of Clark County. I do. I believed it from the beginning, and I still believe it. And I think the greatest hazard, the greatest thing we're going to trip over is not evil, is not even the world, but I think it's ourselves. Are we going to let God be on first? So what am I asking? I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to step in, to jump in head first this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about the vision of what's coming. We're going to share, you know, all the things that we're looking forward to in the coming years. A vision Sunday, we haven't had that yet this fall. We're going to be talking about that. So we're going to, we're going to hear some more of, of the big picture of what's coming for 6-8 Church in the weeks and months and the next year. But this morning, I'm asking, will you be invested? And whatever that thing is that's keeping you from being invested, will you lay it down this morning? Whatever that thing is that is just holding you back, will you lay it down? We're going to, in just a few minutes, I'm about to be done, I promise. Just a few minutes, we're going to take communion. You're going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a perfect opportunity for us to lay something down and to come anew to the kingdom of God. Will you lay it down? Will we lay whatever this thing is down, whatever this is that we're holding on to, and respond in kind with the generosity that's been shown to us? God, who was rich in mercy, poured out his love, made his love available to us. Will we respond? So for some of you that may have to do with finances, for some of you that may have to do with the fact that that you need to let go of some of your hard-earned money, some of you, that's not the problem. Some of you excel in that, and I praise God for that. For others of you, though, it's as simple as being committed to church, being committed, a covenant commitment that, that nothing is going to separate me from this commitment I've made to this church, and I'm going to commit to not only being here every week, but I'm going to commit to being a part of this church through prayer. I'm going to commit to being a part of the mission out in the world when I'm out there, when I'm around people who don't know God. I'm going to be committed to the church. And that might be your commitment. That might be the thing you have to lay down I want to sleep in on Sundays. I want to go camping over the weekend, but I'm committed. Or maybe it's serving once a week. We have a lot of opportunity to serve here at the church. We have a lot of opportunities outside of this building to partner with other organizations and to help, and we just cling so tightly to our time that we just can't let it go. Maybe, we, maybe the thing that we're holding on to is our time. Maybe that's the most important thing, and we need to lay that down. We need to surrender that so that Christ can do something greater in our lives through the time that he's given us on this earth, and maybe that's the thing you need to lay down. We need to be generous with our time. put our knowledge into action. Knowledge that never turns into action is useless. It puffs us up. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I pray for us as a church, a bountiful harvest. And I want you to be a part of it. It'll change your life forever once you experience the harvest of the kingdom of God. Let's stand together. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? If you need to pray with someone, you can go to the back of the room after the service. Jim and Russ and some others may be available back there for you to pray with. I would encourage you to go pray with them. If there's something you need to lay down or you need to pray with someone to lay it down, Rob is in the back. You can talk to Rob. Lay it down this morning. Don't hold on to it. Don't cling to it any further. Put God on first. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you sent your son to die in my place 
so that I did not have to live a perfect life, so that I did not have to earn enough so that I could buy my salvation, but that I get it freely because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I thank you, you have eternally changed my life, that you have eternally changed the lives of so many in this room that you are making an impact from young to old in this building every Sunday, that from the littlest to the oldest, you are changing lives, not because of what we do or how great we are, but because you are here, you are active, and you are alive in our presence. You are doing things we can't take credit for, and we thank you and give you the praise. Father, whatever area we struggle with laying down, whatever it is we're holding on to this morning, we just can't seem to let go. I pray that you would empower us in this moment, that you would embolden us in this time to be able to lay that down once and for all time, to, to give that up, to, to let it go, and to find new strength, to find power from the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk out of this place and to live lives that walk away from that and walk towards the cross instead of picking it up and carrying it with us another week. And Father, I pray that we as a church would reflect you to this dark and broken world, that when people do ridiculous, awful, horrendous things, that we respond with grace because we know the answer. Father, I pray that you would put us in situations where we can keep awful things like that from happening, that you can help us to shine this light with someone who needs it, someone who's on a path to destruction, whether they find your grace and that they find hope and walk away from the evils of this world. And Father, I pray that in this moment, in these last few moments we have together, that you would empower us with power from on high to go out and to be the light, to go out and by the good deeds that you've given us to do to make a difference in this community, that we would not hold on to something tightly that is fleeting, that we would not cling to something as more important to, to us than you, but that we would lay that down and let it go and go out and go to the, to the ends of the earth that you've put us on, to go as far as you've given us to go and to share the love of God, to share the love of Christ, to share the grace of Jesus Christ, to share the mercy of Jesus Christ, to share what we have been so freely given with those who desperately need to receive it. And Father, we just pray for a bountiful harvest of righteousness. We pray for a bountiful harvest for what we're sowing generously to be rewarded here in this community and this body that we would see tens and hundreds and thousands of people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we have been faithful. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us and are faithful. We stand on the shoulders of those around us who are living faithful lives. And we just ask and we pray that you would help us to be faithful and carrying out that mission. In Jesus' name, amen.